Tell them now. You can find all kinds of information about that online. I don't know, it was a little bit, it was a little bit quiet for us. I don't know if you could hear all of it. So this is what I tried to do watching that this week and kind of getting ready for this. I tried to think, number one, when was the last time I stood that close to my dad? Because my dad passed away a number of years ago. So when was the last time I stood that close to him? <laughs> it's a story. I don't think I can tell it today. We had to get real close, you know, and I just had to talk to him a little bit. But, but this is what I'm thinking. With all the things my dad did that were bad, or all the things he did that were pitiful, all the things that, that he didn't do that, that I think he should have done as a dad, all, all that he missed out on, I'm going to tell you one thing that he really did right. And it ties perfectly with what we're talking about here today. My dad was not, he didn't criticize. And he never criticized me. He may have missed out on a lot of things, and he may have not done a lot of things, and he might have been pretty terrible at being a dad in a lot of ways, but he was not critical of me. Uh, he had a hard time being complimentary as well, you know, but, but he did not criticize. And, I, and, and this is going to sound probably lame to you, but I'm going to tell it to you because it's the best compliment he ever gave me, okay? This is the best. This was as good as it got, you know, for me. And I'm 48 years old, and I'm still remembering it and talking about it. But we were talking one time about, about um, the direction my life was going, you know. And, and this was a point where I knew I was going to go toward ministry. I was going to go toward church things. I was going to do kind of what I'm doing now. And I was just talking to my dad a little bit about that around the table. And, um, and, he, and, and this is all he said about it. He just said, I like what you do. That was it. That was as good as the compliment got. I like what you do. Now, we didn't share the same faith. You know, he, he never told me I don't believe in God, but he never, he never said he did. He never, um, he never did anything or said anything to make me believe that, that he believed in God or that he knew Jesus Christ. He never had that. He and I just, we just, we were not the same in that way. I'm a person of faith, and as far as I know, he never was. But just as his role as the dad in my life, what he did that was really good that I can say is that he just never, he never was critical. He never was belittling. He never condemned me. He never picked out the things that he could have picked out and said, you should do this different or you're doing this wrong or any of those things. He just didn't do that. He just stayed out of it. And, and sometimes not doing something is, is way better. And that's what he did. And we're going to talk today about criticism and how powerful our words are, because this is week two of my big fat mouth, and your mouth can get you in trouble. So I think we've got the series uh, here. Last week we did complaining, so if you weren't here, look online and you can check that one out. We just talked about complaining and kind of what that does and how we can do that differently. But today we're going to talk about criticism and how powerful it is and what the scripture says about criticism. Because our words make a difference for people. They hit people. They can help people and they can hurt people. And so criticism is something we need to think about. Next week, when we come back, we'll talk about gossip. Now, I can already tell you, I'm going to talk a lot about camp. <laughs> I just know that'll happen. But gossip will be in there. That'll be one of our topics. That'll be the third part of this series. And the fourth week, when you come back at the end, is about lying. And again, lying and gossip are not the same things. A lot of times people think that they are. You know, if you tell a lie, they call it gossip. No. A lie is a lie. Gossip is gossip. Gossip has to be true. 
Otherwise, it's a lie. You know, that, that's how that works. So if you tell something that's true, but you didn't need to say it, and they didn't need to know it, or it's really hurtful to people, that's gossip. But if you tell something untrue, that's not gossip. That's just a lie. So we're going to talk about both those things as we kind of move our way through this. Now, church stuff. Some of you have been in church for a long time. And I realize some of you, it's kind of new. You haven't really been in church that much. So, so maybe you're just, you've heard these stories before, or you might just assume we do this sometimes. But those of you who have been in church a long time, you know how this is. There are some people that believe they have the spiritual gift of criticism, right? They believe it's God put them on this earth to pick out what's wrong with you and tell you. That's what they'll do. And, and this has been my thing as a pastor. You know, I'm like, Lord, can you just take that one and move it out of the way? You know? But it's like, it's like when one of them leaves, the devil raises up two more. That's what it feels like with criticism. And have y'all ever had pickers? I don't know if y'all know what this, this means, what I mean by it, but, you know, I, I used to wear blazers or jackets a lot or a suit or a blazer, something like that. And, and these ladies would come up to me and they're talking to me and they look at my jacket and they pick. You know what I'm talking about? There's a fuzz or a little piece of lint or something and they just feel the need to reach over and just pick these things off me. Well, that wasn't you, was it, Shirley? You weren't? Okay. Some people are that way and they just do that and it's just so aggravating to have people do that kind of thing. And, and people do the same thing with their words. They're just pickers. You know, they look at you, they know something, they see something, they heard something, and they just feel the need to inform you about it. That's what they do. And it's criticism. And it's not the good kind of criticism. Michelle and I, Michelle already leave? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell this. No, it's, it's fine. I would tell it if she was here. I would tell it if she was here. And Abby is here, and Abby would tell her. So this is, Michelle told me that the term constructive criticism is not good, that I shouldn't use it. Constructive criticism. And I just said, well, yeah, you, you're probably right about that. Constructive criticism, maybe there's a better way to say that. I just remember that when I was in college and seminary, they used that on me a lot. Like you turn in a paper and they'd say, we're going to give you a little constructive criticism. You know, they would tell me what was wrong with what I wrote or what I did or any of those kinds of things. So I just, I thought it was a thing, right? Constructive criticism. Like there's a way to, to, to be critical, to critique something. And maybe that's the better word, to critique something and do it in a way that's going to be helpful. Okay, that is not what I'm talking about today. That is not what the scriptures that we're going to read uh, deal with today. Not a constructive kind of critique where you're, you're looking at something. Because, by the way, if it's going to be constructive criticism, the person you're aiming that at, they, they need to be in on it. Like, they need to give you permission. You need to say to them, hey, can I tell you something about this? And they might tell you, no, it's none of your business, right? And that way you stay out. But if, if you say, can I, can I talk to you about this? And they, yeah, I want to hear your view. I want to hear your opinion on it. At that point, it might be constructive criticism, okay? And that's a good thing. Those are good things. I'm for that, okay? But that is not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is something very, very different. When people, you know, cut others down, it's destructive, it's belittling, it's nagging, it's some of those things. Now, if you're here today and you're thinking, I am so glad the person sitting next to me is here today. Okay, if that's you, all right, I'm, I'm fine with that. You may believe that the person sitting next to you or behind you or a couple rows up, that person needs to be here and hear this criticism, you know, kind of message. But I, I really want you to, to turn the focus back to you, okay? I don't, I don't want this to be about other people that need to hear it. I don't want you thinking all day, like, I hope this posts because I'm going to send a link to them because they need to hear it. Like, I don't want you to think that way. I want you to think about you. Think about yourself. Where you fit in this and how you use your words and if you are critical toward others and what that does to people and, and how you really have the choice to do something very, very different. That's what I want you to think about. So how people dress, 
things they post online, how they drive, my goodness, how they spend their money, how they raise their kids, the choices they make, you know. Is it okay for you to decide for yourself whether you like that or not? Sure. Is it okay for you to keep that to yourself? Yes. Is it okay for you to share it with others? Maybe sometimes. That's what we're saying, right? I got a good nod out of Justin on that. Maybe sometimes we can share that with someone. Let me read you the scripture, and I just I want you to hear it. There's a couple of them that I thought should be the main one, but I'm going to give you the one that, that just kind of made it to the top. This is Galatians chapter 5. I want to read verses 14 and 15. And just think of this in the context of criticism. Okay, you ready for this? I want you to hear it. For the whole law, everything in God's law, entire Old Testament, like all of it, for the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, if you're always criticizing one another, watch out. Now, let me read that to you in the New American Standard Version, because I just read it in a different version. Verse 15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Criticism can eat up others, but it also eats you up. That's what it does. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. You give us such practical, straightforward information, commands, wisdom, all of these things. And as we think about our words today and our patterns of doing things and the things that, that come out of our mouth, God, we need you to help us. Because there's not a one of us here that's not guilty of saying things we shouldn't say, even to the people that we love the most. So guide us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're here, I just want you to think of it in terms of yourself. What if your mouth is destroying the relationships that are important to you. You know, what if the words that come out of your mouth are destroying the, the intimacy, the relationship you have with your spouse or you have with your kids or you have with, with the people that are closest to you in this world? What if your words, that's what you're doing? What if you're building up walls? What if you're putting distance between them with your words? What if you are damaging your own testimony as a Christian through your words. What if you're doing those things? Now I know to some degree all of us are guilty of that. I get it. I get it. But we want to change that. And we need God to help us with it. Here's that other scripture that I thought might be the main scripture. It's Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read that to you. Because when you hear this, you're thinking, you, you may think to yourself, there goes 50% of what I say every week. But here, here it is. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs. Not you want to say it, but according to their needs. Now all of a sudden what someone else needs helps determine what I actually say. Not what I think, not what I feel, not what I want to tell them, but instead what they actually need from me. That changes what words that I use. And it goes on to say that it may benefit those who listen. Look, if you've been on the receiving end of this, you already know. But criticism can go straight through the ears, straight through the mind, and all the way to that place we call the heart, right? And it lodges there. 
And, and it's not like sometimes a person can tell you a hundred things good about you, a hundred compliments. They can give you all just dozens of things that are positive, positive, positive. You let them say one critical, one harmful, one belittling thing, and that's what they remember forever. That's what they remember. Now, the opposite can be true. It can be the same way with encouragement. And by the way, there's not a spiritual gift of criticism. There is a spiritual gift of encouragement. That's in the Bible. I mean, some people have that. They have a spiritual gift of encouragement. You, you will know these people because they just keep pouring that out on you. <laughs> That's what they do. It's their gift. And, and they have a way of saying the right thing at the right time because God blesses them in that way. And, and the church, we need it. The body of Christ, we need it. They build us up. Every congregation needs a few of them. And I always pray for a bunch. I want people with the gift of encouragement because they will lift us all up. They will help all of us. Here's what I tried to do. I tried to think this week, what are some of the worst critiques I ever received as a pastor, as a preacher? Justin, you ready for this? All right, here, here it is. Someone looked at me, actually said, keep your day job. I know. Can you believe that? I'm preaching in a church. I work a job. I'm preaching in a church, and it's very early. And, um, and this lady comes up to me, and she, she just literally said, keep your day job. Yeah, I don't like her. <laughs> keep your day job. Another one that I remember. Again, you remember the critiques, right? Another one that I remember. You are going to school for this, right? That was a criticism I actually received. You are going to school. Like, they expected me to learn some things and get better. Which, that's not all bad. I'm for that. But on that day, at that time, it, she didn't mean it in the nicest possible way. Right. All right, so keep your day job. You are going to school for this. First time I ever spoke in front of a church like this. I had spoken to people my own age. I would spoken to students, you know, what we called youth group back then. I'd done that, but I'd never spoken to our church. And I was asked to do that. I wanted to do that. I thought I wanted to do that. I was 15 years old. And um, it was a Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. There's about 400 people there. The place was packed. And I got up to preach. And I looked out at these people. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. What's about to happen? So uh, I'll just tell you what I do. I, sometimes I don't so much focus on the people. Is I, just, I just know Jesus is right there. He's standing right there. He gave me something to say. He expects me to say it. He's listening to me. So I just talk to him. You know, that's kinda, and that's kind of how I've always done it. Doesn't mean you're not important. You are. But this is about Jesus. And it always has been about Jesus. So we talk about him. But I got up and, and I said what I said. And they recorded it on something called a cassette tape. Y'all remember those? <laughs> They recorded it. I still have it. Okay, no one has a cassette tape player, because I and I probably wouldn't let you hear it anyway, you know. But I still have that actual cassette tape of the first time I ever spoke to a church. Now, no one really criticized me. They probably could have, should have, wanted to, who knows? But they didn't. But two things did happen that day that were very encouraging to me and kind of set me in a good path. One was my grandmother. My mother's mother was there, and. Um, and she just walked out and she hugged me. And you know, I was standing in the back kind of as people were leaving the foyer of the church there. And she walked out and she hugged me. And she just looked at me and she said, I love you, son. I'm so proud of you. Didn't matter if what I said was good, bad, or indifferent. Didn't matter if I did a good job or I didn't. You know, my grandmother loved me and she was proud of me. And that, that meant a lot to me. And then my pastor, after it was all over and everyone was about gone, 
a pastor came to me and he just said, that was a great insight into that scripture. That's all he said. All he said. And, and that just did a world of good to me because it, it meant something. It meant my pastor saw something that I did with the Bible that he thought was good. And I needed to hear that. Okay. So we talk about criticism. We talk about the power of it and how bad and destructive it can be. But understand, when you flip that thing over, you know, there's all the positive. There's all the encouragement. And, and what we're talking about here today is how every one of us, we all have a choice to do this one way or the other. Now, if you automatically lean one way or the other, you know, if you lean toward the positive side, great. Okay, this is not going to be hard for you. But if you lean toward the negative side, it's going to take some work. It might take an act of God to kind of move you over to the other side. So, so you're not so critical and you become far more encouraging. But I think i got a slide on this. Which do you want to be? Oh, we got Calvin and Hobbes today. Don't let me go past the cartoons. Like if, I, if there's a cartoon and I hadn't mentioned it, somebody point, okay? Because these cartoons were good. Michelle found all of them. Do you like that one? There is no reward for finding fault in others. And by the way, any Calvin and Hobbes fans? Got a few? Okay. Calvin and Hobbes. If you don't know this about Calvin and Hobbes, the cartoon is based off of John Calvin and Thomas Hobbes. John Calvin's a theologian. Thomas Hobbes is a philosopher. And, um, and the, the creator of this cartoon put those two characters together like this. Calvin and Hobbes, and it's just, it's genius, and it's got all kinds of good in it, and it's got a lot of theology, and it's got a lot of doctrine in it. It's so important that when my children were little, I used to read it to them all the time. It was my way of just having fun with my children and getting some theology and doctrine into their minds when they were little in the form of a cartoon. So Calvin and Hobbes, great stuff. Um, my kids know I love it so much, and they liked it so much, they, when he stopped making those, they bought me the entire set. Like I have every Calvin and Hobbes cartoon ever made. So if you need to borrow it, I have like a four-volume set. Okay. But, but this is the kind of thing they'll do sometimes. There's no reward for finding fault in others. No reward. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't benefit you. you no one's going to come along and say, good job. You know, you found someone's fault. Way to go. No benefit in that. So I'm asking you first, are you a fault finder? Because those are our choices. Are you a fault finder? It's okay to see it. It's okay to know it. It's okay to have some discernment. It's okay to, to, to think things through. I'm not telling you not to do that. Those are good things. It's just when you, when you feel the need to pass that on to someone else, that's when you become a fault finder. That's what we're trying to avoid. How many times have couples come to me? Usually it's always the, you know, it's, it's one. So it's usually the wife before the husband, Okay. And, and they're having serious marital problems. And this is the kind of thing they'll say to me. He doesn't like the way I chew. Okay, you don't get divorced over that, right? That's not big enough, is it? Shouldn't be. But when you got that little thing, and the next little thing, and the next little thing, and the next little fault, and you don't dress right, and your socks don't match, and you don't chew, and you make noises when you, when you drink. And, I mean, it's just one little thing after another, and it starts to add up, and it piles up. And eventually, I've got somebody's wife sitting across the table from me going, I'm out of this. I'm gone. Right? And any one thing by itself is not big enough for that, but it's, it's living in that constant barrage of criticism. That eats people up. It does exactly what Galatians 5.15 says. It devours people. And I know, I mean, I'm, I'm watching you. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right. But others of you, this is dead serious because you know what that's about. You live in that, it's not good at all. And that's what it feels like to live with a fault finder. Now, 
Uh, I, I might not make your day by saying this if you're really a critical person. And, and I don't know anybody here that I would just point to and say you're a hypercritical person. I would, I, I don't, so don't think I'm aiming this at you. But understand this. Who is it in the Bible that's known as the accuser fault finder? The devil. He is the accuser of those who believe in God. That's his name. Like he is the accuser of the brothers. That's him. So when we do that to people, we don't look like Jesus. We look like the other one, right? We don't look a lot like Christ. We look like the devil when we do those things. When we spend our time accusing other people, that's what it looks like. Revelation chapter 12, he's known as the accuser of believers. Now, who else in the New Testament was really known for their fault finding? The Pharisees. Remember that group? The religious people. The people who went to church, the people who knew the scripture, the people who were supposed to be, you know, the real light and salt in the world. Those were the people, the Pharisees, who were the super critical people, even of Jesus, which, by the way, how critical do you have to be to criticize Jesus on a regular basis? Right? And that's what they did. They criticized. It's like, um, it's, I don't have a cartoon for this. But it's like the, there's a Calvin and Hobbes where Calvin says you spell a word this way and Hobbes says you spell it that way and they bring out a dictionary and he looks at the Webster's Dictionary and he goes, they got to Webster. <laughs> right? right? Like, I can't be wrong. Even the dictionary misspelled this word. Right? So that's what fault finders are like. They don't, they don't care. They don't listen to those things. They know they're right and they're going to share it with you or they're going to pour that out on someone. They, they are the fault finders. That's what the Pharisees were like. And frankly, I mean, we just don't want that in the church, do we? What, what's our, uh, what's our uh, house rule number one? No one sits alone, right? No one sits alone. And, and we just kind of walk through those, that list, but we're going to have to word something and put another one out there because we need to say something about the words that we say, right? No one sits alone, but no one, no one should be criticized either. You may think something or know something about someone, but look, when we're here, we're, we're, we're turning our hearts and minds toward God. This is where people find help from God. Not criticism from God's people. And sometimes we have to work on that. Now, when people do this criticism thing, this is my opinion. I think they think it makes them look smart or maybe it looks, makes them look funny or something like that. But the truth is it really makes them look more insecure, maybe even mean-spirited, right? That's what it looks like when people just constantly criticize. I've never met a critical person that I wanted to be like. Have you? You ever met one of these really critical people and you thought, oh yeah, I hope I can reach that level one day? No. It's just something all of us know to step back from. Let me read a scripture. I know I got a slide on this. Okay, ladies, just stay with me on this. Let me read it. It's in the Bible. And then we'll flip it over. Okay. It's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. I would rather live alone in the desert than have to live with a wife like that. I see a head nodding, yes. You know the opposite is true, right? So for all you ladies, it's the same way. You'd rather live alone in the desert than live with a man like that, right? It's miserable. Just miserable. 
So for you single people in here, I'm trying to help you today. (laughs) Just just trust me on this, okay? Your words matter. And when you get married, it matters. So start now, you know? Start now with the way you think and the way you let the words come out toward the people that you care about. Because if, you, if, you'll, if you'll point out flaws in your best friends and, and your siblings and the people that you love, you won't stop just because you get married. Right? You'll just carry that right on over into your marriage. So, so go ahead and change it now. Go ahead and, and start taking the people that, that you know and love best and start finding the good things and letting those words come out. And when you have the other thoughts, just hold those to yourself. And, and just go ahead and do that. Because then when you get married, it won't be hard for you. Because what happens when all you married people, you know this, right? You get married and in a very short period of time, that's the person you know best in the world. Like you thought you knew other people. But once you get married, something changes. All right? It's like my preaching professor used to say, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. <laughs> right? You really get to know somebody because you're married to them. So, again, get that pattern of, of the good, the encouraging words, instead of the critical things. That will make all the difference. So don't be a fault finder. Here's the other option. You can be a hope dealer. Not a dope dealer. <laughs> hope dealer. <laughs> I said hope dealer. Somebody looked up. Hope dealer. That's what I said. Hope dealer. All right. Here's the scripture. This is out of Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm trying to say to you is this is what God wants for you. He not only wants you to have hope, he wants you to overflow with hope. And if you overflow with hope, that's going to spill out on other people. That's what's going to happen. Romans 15, 3. I don't have this scripture for you, but, but just write it down if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 8. Read through that chapter. I mean, I would say to you, read through it every day until you just feel like you got it. Okay, Romans chapter 8 starts with, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to hear that again? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Everything you've ever done, everything you're doing now, and everything you might come up with to do in the future, Jesus Christ, through His death on the cross, paid for it all. And the day you believed in Him, you received forgiveness, absolute pardon for all your sins. Past, present, future. You will never face condemnation from God ever. That's why Romans 8 starts that way. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That chapter goes on to say that the Spirit helps our weaknesses because just because we don't have uh, any condemnation doesn't mean we don't still have some problems, that we still aren't weak in some areas, that we still do some things wrong. And that chapter goes on to explain how the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It goes on to remind us that the one who is our Savior and Lord, He sits at the right hand of God. So we have an advocate with God Almighty who sits right there. He's got that privileged position. And by the time you get to the end of the chapter, it reminds us one more time that we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. That's the truth about you. There's that wonderful text at the end of Romans 8 that says, there's neither death nor life nor angels or demons, things present, things in the future, powers, there's not height or depth or any other thing in creation that can separate us from the love of God. 
Powerful, powerful chapter. You want to be a hope dealer? Go camp out in Romans chapter 8 for a while. Just camp out in Romans chapter 8. Just stay there until you feel like it's, it's embedded in your heart. That you know that you're never condemned. That you know that Christ is seated at, seated at the right hand of the Father. That you know you are more than a conqueror through Him who loves you. Just stay there for a while. We do have a slide on this. Our hope ultimately comes from Him. And so when you're looking at it, this is what it looks like. First Timothy, which is one of the, almost the, the last letter Paul ever wrote, he spoke of Jesus and he called him our hope. And then he turned around and wrote a letter to, Timoth uh, to Titus and he said, Jesus is our blessed hope. And then the third one that we see, he calls, Peter calls him our living hope. So Jesus is the hope all the way through. He's the one. Now, do you remember the story in the Gospels? where there are a group of Pharisees and they bring a woman to Jesus. Remember that story? If you don't know this story, here's the short, really, really, really short Taylor version. Okay? The Pharisees need a trap. They need somebody who's guilty. So they find a woman who's guilty of adultery and they bring her to Jesus and they say, here she is. She did this. We caught her. She's guilty, Jesus. The law says she should be stoned to death. The law of Jesus, God's word says she's guilty. We should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? And what did Jesus say? Nothing. He didn't say a word at first, right? He did something that we all wish we knew what actually happened. He knelt down and he started writing in the dirt. I sure wish I knew what he wrote. No, the way no, he started writing in the dirt. So the other guys, you know, the ones looking around like, she should be stoned because she's guilty of this terrible sin. She should be stoned. They're, they're, they're probably looking at what he wrote. Beginning with the oldest, they just turned and walked away. Put your rocks down. And they left. And in a few moments, there's nobody left but Jesus and this woman. So Jesus looks up and he says to her, Where are your accusers? Where are the people who a moment ago were ready to kill you for your sin? Based it on God's Word. Where are they? Nobody here, Lord. Nobody here. And then, this is what Jesus actually said. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. You want to know the heart of God? You want to know what Jesus thinks about your sin? That's it. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. He didn't elaborate, it on, elaborate on it with that woman on that day, but, but you had to know this is what Jesus was thinking. I don't condemn you. And in his mind, he had to be thinking, but I'll take the condemnation for you. I'm not going to condemn you, but I'll be condemned for you. But he didn't say that to her. He just says, I don't condemn you. Don't do this anymore. I guess sometimes it's, it's a little different for us because we're in our sin. You know, we're right in it. We see it. We start to feel the weight of our sin. And, and that's how we experience that. But God looks at it completely different. He looks at all of our sin. He sees your sin, my sin, everybody's sin. And he understands that he put all of that on the cross of Jesus. And Jesus paid for it all. So Jesus looks at our sin differently. And he doesn't condemn us. He took the condemnation for us. And he took it away. So what happened in that, that little moment there when Jesus says, I'm not condemning you either. I don't have any rocks to throw. I've got no stones here. But just don't do this anymore. You have the opportunity to walk away and live a different kind of life. That's what he said. Now that's a hope dealer, right? 
That is a hope dealer. Look, I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you're doing now. You know, you, you don't have to tell me. But if you were talking to Jesus about it, if anybody was accusing you to Jesus about that, I think he'd tell you the exact same thing. He'd say, I'm not here to condemn you. Just go and don't do that anymore. Don't sin like that anymore. Live a different life. Be changed. That's what he'd say. That's a hope dealer. Our spiritual enemy, the devil, he's the father of lies. He's the prince of darkness. He's the one who is the accuser. But Jesus is the exact opposite. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that's living hope. So let's just think some things through. Because we're thinking about criticism. You've got children, or you've raised children. Okay, You know them pretty well. They don't do everything we want them to do, right? So maybe they don't keep their room the way you want them to keep it. You know, maybe they don't do chores the way you, you taught them to do it. Maybe they don't you know, take care of their, their, when they get older, their money and all these things the way they should. Maybe they don't do that. But there are some other things they do really, really well. There's some other things that you can see and that you know about them that are just tremendous blessings. This is what I'll tell you, all you parents here. I'm not telling you the negative things are not important. And there may be a time when you, as the parent, get to deal with that. And I'm telling you, focus on those positive things. Make sure your kids know that from you. Make sure they know what you're proud of them for. Make sure they know what you see that's good in them. And tell them over and over and over again. Don't be the fault finder in their life. Don't, don't let them get old like me and stand up someday somewhere and go, you know what, my mom was pretty awful. Don't, don't be that mom. Don't be that dad. Instead, be the hope dealer in their life. And all that comes back to your words. And that's why we're talking about criticism. Jesus said that we should not point out a speck in someone else's eye when there's a log in our own, right? All kinds of inconsistencies. So here's what I'd say to you about that. Every time you think about criticizing another person, please think of yourself first, right? It's kind of that thing before you point at someone else, you know you're pointing back at yourself more. Always do that. Before you, before you launch into the words that are going to criticize someone you care about, think of yourself first. That's what Jesus was teaching. I want to read you a scripture. It's out of uh, 2 Corinthians 13. I think we've got a slide on this. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. Now, if, you, if you've never read Corinthians, let me just say that this is a church with problems. They had all kinds of problems. I mean, serious problems. And so this is what Paul tells them. He says, I'm closing my letter with these words. Be joyful. Grow in maturity. Encourage one another. Live in harmony and peace. And then the God of love and peace will be with you. So some of these things are gifts from God, and most of them are choices we get to make. So let me say that again. Some of these things are gifts from God, but most of them are choices we get to make. Like God can give you peace, but you get to make a choice about living in peace. God can give you joy that's totally separate from your circumstances. God can just give you that. But you get to choose if you want to kind of stay there and keep that going in your life. You get to choose. 
God may have gifted you with a great mind and you may be able to see and pick out the right, the wrong, the flaws. You may be able to see that better than anybody else you know. Be grateful for that. But let your words be careful. Because what you see, what you say, that, that's the difference. Whether you, you will be known as a fault finder or a hope dealer. Now, when you see the fault, isn't there a way to address it in a hopeful way? Just because you see something that's wrong, you don't have to talk about specifically what's wrong. You can talk about the hope, the good, the change. That's the difference. You don't have to back up to someone's past and say, look at all this bad stuff you've done. Instead, you can look toward their future and say, here's where you're going. Or here's where you can go. That's what you can do. All right, so here's my challenge. Thinking these things through, this is what it looks like right here. God, let my every word build others up and not tear them down. If I could put everything that, that I'm thinking today into just a sentence or a prayer, that's it. Right there. God, let my every word build others up and not tear them down. If you're here today and you do a lot of tearing down, will you take that to God? I mean, would you just open yourself up to God about that? Would you say, God, I know I do this, and it's got to be causing damage. It's got to be hurting people I care about. Would you just say to God, I don't want to do that anymore. Will you help me change? I won't promise you that you'll be a different person when you walk out the door, but you can start that process. You can change. You can become a person of hope. In just a few moments, what we're going to do, we're going to stand. I'm going to lead in a prayer, and I want you have, to have time to respond. Okay, you can pray right where you're standing. You can come forward. I'll pray with you. I'll be standing right there. We've got other people here that will pray with you. But it's your moment. Take this idea of criticism and hope and just take it before God. If you need to change something today, let that start now. All right, let's stand together. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We are so grateful. You teach us in the word what's good for us, what's bad for us. You show us the way to go. And today we've thought a lot about our words and about the criticism that we often say and about the power of hope and encouragement that we can also give. And so God, I'm praying for every person here this morning. May they take what's in their mind and heart to you. And for those that, that want to change, that want to be better, that want to have a, a different outlook, different kind of words that come out of their mouth every day, God, would you do that work in them? Would you bless them in that way? We give you this time of response. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.